We need him to move and to work in us. Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord on this Sunday morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter number 2. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you that if you do not already follow us on social media, I want you to do that. I want you to go to, go to our Facebook page and like that page uh, and subscribe to that feed. If we have things that we're putting out, quick announcements and things of that nature, um, they will show up there as well. We're sharing the good news. We're doing our best to make our social media presence felt around the world. And there was one clip in particular that, um, that they put up this week that has already been shared uh, almost 100 times, and it has been viewed almost 4,000 times in less than a week. And we're trying to get the message out to people. You know, I really do wish that on, in any given moment that we could have 4,000 people walk through the doors of this church. But the chances of that happening are pretty slim. And if they were here, they wouldn't be able to hear a word I was saying. We've maxed this room out at 700 people, and it was super uncomfortable. But 4,000 people, what would we do with them? So I want to tell you that we have the ability to do something with technology that I have to believe if the Apostle Paul could have done it, he would have used that resource to get the message into people's hands. We do not use uh, social media to glorify ourselves. We want it to bring glory to God. And I want you to make it a matter of prayer every day when you pray for this church that God would use every tool of evangelism that we use. Can you imagine in one week being able to touch 4,000 people plus what, however that all works out. Last night, uh, before I went to bed, I looked. It was like 3,800 views or something like that. Can you imagine being able to influence people that quickly? I'm talking about churches of other denominations, of other faiths. They're taking our videos and sharing them to their church pages. We want God to get the glory in his end-time church, and I believe it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. Amen. The book of John, chapter number 2. Thank you today to um, Sister Horner for the Manuka honey lozenges, for helping her pastor's throat today. That was already a blessing once, and blessing number two will be entering the ministry after I'm done today. Amen. John chapter 2, this is a very famous miracle done by Jesus because it is the first recorded miracle in the Bible that Jesus did. This takes place at the marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, and this King James translation is really not fair. It almost makes Jesus look like a smart aleck, the way he's talking to his mother. He says, woman, what have I to do with thee? The original language of this, of this verse actually would be easily, easily interpreted um, 
why does this concern me? In other words, they, they have a problem, but what in the world can I do to fix that? Like, mother, how can I be of assistance to them? And then he makes a statement to her. He asks the question, what, what does this have to do with me? And then he says, mine hour is not yet come. Mary never responds to Jesus. She doesn't say a word to Jesus. She turned around unto the servants. And she said, whatsoever he says, do it. Whatsoever he says, do it. Let's go through the miracle very quickly. There were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three Firkins apiece, or about 10.8 gallons per firkin. So we're looking at between 20 and 30 gallons of water. Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with what? With water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now. And bear it or go, go show it and take it to the governor of the feast. And they took it to him. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine. And knew not whence it was or knew not where it came from. But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And said unto him, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Verse 11 tells us this is the beginning of miracles that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, which leads us to believe that this is the very first recorded miracle that Jesus did. But this is powerful. The miracle was for a reason. It manifested forth his glory. So that the disciples would believe on him. The miracle was so that people would believe on him. But Jesus needed something to work with. He needed the faith of somebody to be able to do the miracle. And so for the next few moments this morning, I want to preach to you from this simple subject. Let him work. Let him work. Would you put your Bibles down and join me in prayer today that the word of God would touch our hearts. Father, we honor you and thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your power, for your authority, for your anointing, for your demonstration. Today we are calling on heaven to meet us in this house that there, O oh God, would not only be a manifestation of your glory, but that there would be a response to that manifestation. God, that you would trouble the waters of our hearts. I'm believing today, Lord, that you can trouble the waters of baptism. I'm believing today, Lord, that you can trouble the water of a heart and fill them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Let the good seed of the Word of God go forth into good soil, and for this we give you thanks praise and glory in Jesus name let the church say amen 
Would you give the Lord praise before you're seated for his wonderful word today? Praise the name of Jesus. Praise God. You may be seated in Jesus' name if you promise you won't stay there for the rest of this service. Amen. I've heard men get up behind the pulpit and make statements before. They would say something to this kind of flavor. They would say, now I'm not here today to preach for a response. And I want to stand up and raise my hand and say, then what are you here for? Because you're looking at a man today in this house that's preaching for a response. I'm not talking about an amen with your lips. I want that. I want you to feel comfortable to say amen. Preach it, pastor. I believe that. But what I'm really looking for today is a response with your life. Jesus is in this house today looking for somebody that he can do a work in your life. The presence of the Lord is in this place today looking for somebody that he can make a difference in your family. He's looking for somebody in this house today that may have addictions and your life may be full of faults and failures and you may have failed God and fallen more times than you can count, but that's okay because God will do a work in your life. But you've got to let him work. Amen. I don't want to take a lot of time here in the foundational period of this sermon, but I do feel it's a necessity for me to take a few moments to lay some groundwork and help you understand how God works just a little bit. If this is too elementary for you, then just stay with me for a few minutes and we'll try to preach something a little bit different. But I think sometimes we take things for granted. There is a grave, great big concept out there that God takes things from our lives uh, when we let him into our hearts and in our lives, it's like he manipulates all the situations that we're in. Uh, I mean, how many times have we seen people that may get their life in trouble and they've got some, perhaps some pending judgments against them. Uh, maybe they've got a court date or something coming up and so they'll say, God, I'm going to give you my life. And they do that with the hopes that if they'll give their heart to God, that God will manipulate whatever it is they're facing. Maybe a sickness in their body. Perhaps the court case that we mentioned. Whatever it might be. And so they've got this concept that if they give their life to God. That all of the rocky roads that they are walking right now. Turn into a bed of roses with all of the thorns removed. And that it's just plush. And it's a wonderful place to be. Uh, and there's never sorrow, there's never trouble, there's never grief. I want to tell you today that God is not a manipulator. Nor is God easily manipulated. The Bible tells us that God has the ability through His Word to discern the thought and the intent of our heart. And so if I come to God and my motive is fix my mess... But don't worry about me. God knows that. If my motive is for God to take my trouble away. But I really have no desire to let him work on me. 
He knows my motive. Now, there are some folk that I sincerely believe they feel like they have reached perfection. They are the most spiritual among us. They float six inches off the ground, speak in tongues 27 hours out of the day. They pray all day, every day. They fast eight days a week. And there's nothing that you can do or nothing you can tell them. They have achieved that ecstasy in the spirit. And they know who they are. God can't fix them. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. They're perfect in all their ways. God has already fixed them and they are good to go. If I ever reach that, I want the Lord to just kill me right now. Because I want to go while I'm ready. You understand what I'm saying? But you're looking at a man, although I can stand before God and this congregation and tell you, I do my very best to please the Lord. There are some things that are certain in life because there is red blood flowing through my veins. And I am of the human species that I'm going to make a mistake. That I'm going to fall down and I'm going to do something that I shouldn't have done. It's just a given. But when I do, I flash back to my childhood in Sunday school next door in the basement. And we had an old song that we sang a lot. We sang several songs all the time. One of them was Father Abraham. That's how they got all the kids going in the morning. If you've never seen Father Abraham, you need to get you some of that. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons said, Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. Father Abraham had many sons, so let's just praise the Lord, left arm. Come on, you Sunday school kids know what I'm talking about. You've been there, done that. And by the time you're done, let's just praise the Lord, right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot. Nod your head, turn around. Y'all remember that? It's kind of like the hokey pokey on steroids with Jesus. <laughs> but the song that always just messed with me, even as a child, I remember feeling the convicting power of the Holy Ghost as a little boy when we would sing it. It says, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took Him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he is still working on me. I feel like helping somebody in this house today that the enemy has told you because you've messed up and you have slipped and fallen that God is finished with you and that God has washed his hands of you and that there's no hope for your life. But I want to encourage you today. Let God work on you. Let God work on your mind. Let God work on your spirit. Let God work on your emotions. Let God work on your anger. Let God work on your bitterness. Let God work through the strife and the trouble and the torment. Let him work. Let him work. He's still working on me. I know the Bible talks about us being perfect. The truth of us being perfect is actually found in the translation of the word. It does not mean that we are perfect as in we have no faults. It means that we are complete. 
How do I get complete? That's answered in Colossians, the second chapter. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. I am perfected in Christ. I am completed in Christ. I still have faults, and I still have failures. But he's working on me. He's doing something in me every day. When I got into town last evening, I spent some time with my family. When the kids went to bed, I came down here to the house of the Lord. And I began to walk and pray in this sanctuary. And I said, Lord, I don't know what it is you're trying to do in me. But I feel you drawing me into your presence. I feel you. And I left the church and I I was driving home. And I could feel that drawing presence of the Holy Ghost. Listen, if he's drawing you to be in his house, that means he's working on you. If he's drawing you to prayer, that means he's working on you. I don't know everything that's wrong with me today. I don't know everything that's wrong with you today. But I do know one thing. I need God to work in my life. And I'm going to let him work. I'm going to let him work. I'm going to let him work on me. Talking the other night, I can't even remember who it was. I was talking to somebody, maybe in this church. I don't know. I've been a few places the last several days. I feel like Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere, man. Somebody texted me the other day and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm on the road. They said, isn't that a Willie Nelson song? On the road again? Yeah. Anyway, I was talking to somebody. Uh, may, may have been here, and they were talking about they had uh, broken their leg. And it made me a little weak, just so I'm going to preface this for you. They were working outside, and a tree limb, they were cutting a tree, and the tree limb fell down, and their, their front leg was sticking out. The, the limb, 200-some pound limb, just came down and landed right across their femur. And when it did, it just snapped that big bone right in half. Just poof. They said when their, when their dad went to the hospital with the broken leg, they said they laid him up on the bed and the doctor got to look and he said it's a, it's a pretty clean break. That it just snapped it right in two. And they said, we want to get this thing fixed, but before we do, we got to set it. what I did I said they gave him a little goofy medicine they reached up and grabbed that leg by the ankle and they pulled on it they said when it did that old leg snapped perfectly right back together they said when they went and did the scans after that they said this is this is unbelievable we've never seen a break be this clean and fit back together this neatly it was perfect said it happened but my point to you is that man could have gone on pain medication and lived his life until he died on pain meds but the thing that was broken would still be broken and when the doctor chose to work on him it was a painful process But it began the healing in that man's life so that he could move forward and he wasn't bound 
to a wheelchair. He wasn't going to be a cripple the rest of his life because of one break. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I want to minister to somebody in this house. The devil has tried to spell your destiny out for you because of one break. And he's tried to tell you you're bound to that failure for the rest of your life. But the Holy Ghost is saying, this may hurt just a little bit, but let me work on you. Let me pull you back together. Let me do something in your life. You're not going to be stuck like this forever. I want to work. But you've got to let him work. Pastor, I don't know how, I don't know how. God deals with messes. I'm a human, and he's God. And I don't really know how God deals with messes. Well, I'm really glad that you asked that this morning, because I want to help you. First thing is, you have to have an understanding of how God works. The Bible said that there was a need present at the marriage supper of Canaan. They had ran out of the resource that they needed. Here's a little trick that I want you to put down. As Bishop Bingham used to say, here's the pen clicker. I want you to get this in your mind. That Jesus was not even talked about in working on the situation until the resources had expired. Sometimes he does not need full to start working. He needs empty. He said, I didn't come to the whole of Israel. He said, the whole need not a physician. I came to heal the broken people. He quoted the prophet Isaiah and he said, he hath anointed me to preach, to bind up the brokenhearted. Come on, somebody. He said, he's anointed me to heal the bruised people. He's anointed me to set the captive free. What I'm saying to you today is just because you're empty does not mean God can't fix you. That means you're right where he wants you to be. Pastor, I'm so incomplete. I'm so messed up. That's where Jesus comes into the scene. We don't have what we need. We're out of resources. And he looks at his mother and he says, how is that my problem? So some of you are asking the same thing right now. I made the mess. How is that his problem? Right? How is it his problem? Well, it's not his problem. You're his problem. Your mess is not his problem. Your need is his problem. And when you let him work, the mess may still be there. But you learn to walk through struggles and troubles and trials differently after he's come in and made a difference in your life. It doesn't mean your trouble goes away. It means that now you've got an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Am I helping anybody today? If you believe it, just shout amen. Come on, do that again. Say amen. Amen. Woo! Somebody knows what I'm talking about in this house. So he says, well, how's, how's this my problem, mother? 
And she never gave him a response. Listen, this is so important for us to get. He said, my time has not yet come. What does that mean? Well, without going too deep today, what that meant was it was not time for him to be on public display as a Messiah yet. He knew who he was. His mother knew who he was. But she was kind of forcing his hand a little bit. Because after this day, when he starts doing miracles, people start saying things like, no man can do this lest he be sent from heaven. No man can do this lest he be sent from God. So once this happens, the cat's out of the bag. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. He said, my time is not yet come. Jesus has an uncanny ability. There was a woman that came to him and said, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But she was out of the coast of Canaan. And when she came to him, you have to understand, she was a Gentile. This story is happening in the book of Luke. And the Gentiles are not introduced to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ until Acts chapter 10. And Jesus looks at this Gentile woman and says, you know what? I really shouldn't be feeding bread to the dogs. He wasn't being a jerk. That was the language. Gentiles were considered dogs. But that woman created a vacuum and space when she looked at him and said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus saw right then there is a hunger in this woman that will not be satisfied with anything else. And Jesus steps out of the book of Luke all the way over to Acts chapter 10 before it ever happened. The time was not yet come for the Gentile church, but a woman that said, I'll take the crumb. You know why she'd take the crumb? Because everything in the crumb was in the loaf, and everything in the loaf was in the crumb. You know what she was saying? When she said, even the crumbs that fall from the master's table, the dogs eat it. You know what she was saying? I need you to work, and I'm going to let you work. And when Jesus sees an opportunity to work, he'll step over time. He'll step over dispensation. (laughs) All I can think of when I read that story. And I read this story about Mary and the way that, that, that she dealt with Jesus. He said, my time's not yet come. So she just turns around to the servant and says, whatever he says, just do it. God cannot refuse obedience. When he tells you what to do, do it. And when you obey, Mary knew this. When you obey... He has to respond. I know some of y'all think your time's not yet come. But I've seen God expedite some stuff. It may feel like to you he's a little bit late. I'm going to tell you what he is. Come on, Brother Kevin, help me. He's an on-time God. He knows when the crumbs need to fall. And he knows when the wine needs to be had. He knows when the water pots are empty. Lord, I feel my help up in here right now. 
I can't get nobody to get what I'm saying to you right now. What I'm saying to you is God knows exactly where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows when you need that job. He knows when you need that breakthrough. He knows, Sister Danny. He knows when you need that job. He's got it lined up. God knows what he's doing. you got to let him work. There's something that happens to the heart of God when somebody obeys him. It may not feel right to you. It may not feel like the timing is right now. You may not feel like that's what you want to do. But when you obey, you're letting God work. Come on, let's be real in this house this morning. There, all of us, all of us have had times in our lives that we would say things like, well, if I had it my way, that's probably not where I'd go or what I'd do, but that's what the Lord wanted me to do, and I went. What you don't understand is what you just unlocked when you obeyed. I've seen people say to me, Pastor, it didn't even make sense that I would walk out of a job like that. But the Holy Ghost told me to trust him. And that there was a greater job than that for me. So I walked out and I obeyed God. And when I did, God just began to open up doors. And things begin to happen. Hey, I'm not telling you to leave your job if God didn't tell you. But what I'm saying to you is, if God's been speaking to you about doing something, you better do it. Because it lets God work in your life. It lets him work. Um, obedience unlocks a door that nothing else can. But let me just say this while I'm here. If obedience unlocks the door, somebody could preach to me right now. If obedience unlocks the door, what do you think disobedience does? Locks up the favor of God. Oh, man, I feel him in this place. Obedience unlocks the hand of God. Whatever he says, do it. Mary, why would you do that? His time wasn't come. It wasn't time for him to start that, but he can't turn down obedience. So whatever he says to you, you just do it. And watch this. Immediately, obedience activates the faith of God to operate to function to move now I'm going to answer a question how does God deal with messes I don't know if my mess is so bad messed up that God can't fix it I don't know let me just help you whatever he says do it the Bible said that Jesus turned around to the servants and he said see those water pots right there I want you to go fill them up. Now, in your mind, if you're not careful when you read this story, you'll immediately begin to think that they ran out of wine, so he took the wine pot and put it with water and just turned the water to wine. That's the way you kind of feel when you read the story. They ran out of wine, so he takes the wine pots and fills them up with water and turns the water to wine. 
But we need to read this again today, and I want it to be crystal clear to you. It said that there were, that there were six water pots. They were there after the manner of the cleansing, the purifying of the Jews. Think about this. Read that really slow. Water pots for the purifying of the Jews. Not wine pots. Not wine bags. Water pots for purifying. You know what they were? They were the water pots where the dirty hands and feet of the Jews were cleansed when they came into the party. It was the water pots that took the filth of the journey and washed it clean. The water pots were the mess that he was about to turn into a message. Oh, God. For the purifying of the Jews. Pastor, I don't understand how water in a baptistry can wash away my sins. You're missing it. It's not the water that washes your sins away. It's the name that's invoked over you when you go down into that water. And just like he turned the water into wine, he'll turn that water into blood and it'll wash away your sin. What'd they say when, when, I, when, I, when, when you were baptized? How, how'd they baptize you? Well, they baptized me in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But there's an issue with that. We're disobedient to the Scripture. Because Matthew 28, 19 tells us to be baptized in the name. And what we're missing is that there is a name here. You've got to get the revelation of the name for all of this to make sense. Can I break it down Gerber style for a minute? Those of you that are wondering what that is, apparently I say that a lot and people don't know what it means. It means it's going to be easy to digest. It's baby food. It's Gerber food. So let's break it down Gerber style. If you've been around any amount of time, you've heard this said, okay? Let me just help you. My name is Luke Daniel St. Clair. But my kids don't call me Luke. They call me dad. Come on, somebody. My name is Luke Daniel St. Clair. But the people in this church, for the most part, don't call me by my name. They call me by what I do. I'm their shepherd. I'm their pastor. That's what I am. I am a musician. I am a pilot, I'm a preacher, I'm a daddy, there's all kinds of things that I do. I've got proof in this room today that I'm a grandson. My grandparents are sitting right here and they can testify to you, I've been their grandson my whole life. My whole life. Come on now. I've always been their grandson. But if I today were to hand you a check, I got cousins here today. Lisha's married to my family. She's my cousin. I got cousins here. Somebody shout cousins. 
Pastor. Father. Daddy. Whatever. Just start naming them off. What do you do? Well, that's what I do. But if I were to write you a check today and sign on the bottom of that, Daddy. That's kind of gross. If I were to write a check to you today and just sign it, and I know you love me and you appreciate me and you, you make me feel that way often. I'm honored to be your pastor. But if I write you a check and just sign it as pastor, you're in trouble. You can't cash it. It doesn't mean that I'm not your pastor. It means that my title has no authority. If you want to cash that check, there's got to be a name on it. Because my account at the bank does not say pastor, pilot, father, musician, husband. That's not what it says. It has my name on it. The authority is not in what I've done or what I do. The authority is in my name. That's why Acts the fourth chapter and the twelfth verse says that neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven. Given among men whereby we must be saved. Somebody shout the name. We see him as father in creation. Son in redemption. Spirit in the church. But he never has to stop being any of those at any time. To be who he is. But the power of baptism is not in the water nor in a title that's called over you. The power is in the name. The power is in the name and the mode of baptism by which he said we're to be baptized. The word literally means to be immersed in water. That's why we don't believe that you can say in Jesus' name. Sprinkle it over your forehead and your sins are washed away. Let me ask y'all something. Scripture said that we're buried with him in the baptism, right? That's how we're buried with him. So we die at repentance, death. Burial is what? Baptism. Resurrection is what? Holy Ghost. Jesus died, was buried, rose again. Death, burial, resurrection, right? So if dying at repentance, that's where I die. And buried, I'm buried in baptism. But I've only been sprinkled. How many of y'all are willing to go with me to a sprinkle cemetery? Anybody down? This place is gorgeous, man. The only thing is a little different. They don't completely bury people. They just sprinkle them. I think we should go over there and have a picnic. Anybody interested in going to the sprinkle section of the cemetery? Why not? Because you want them buried. You want it disappeared. You, I, I'm, I don't care if they partially do it. I'm, I know I'm funny. They picked at me before because I baptized somebody and their leg came up out of the water. And I said, sorry, we got to do it again. Why? Because if I walk in the cemetery and there's a leg sticking up, I'm out. Well, we buried them. We did a pretty good job. No, no, no. Folks, if there's water, get them under the water. 
Get them under the water. Immersion. Baptizing them in the name. Somebody tell me that name. His name is Jesus. The power, the power of the miracle was not in the water pots. It was H2O. But it was H2O with a mess in it. It was H2O full of filth. It was H2O full of dirt. Anybody here got a little dirt in your life? Don't raise your hand. Pastor, I don't know if I've got too much dirt that God can't. You don't understand. The power is not in your dirt. The power is in the man that's fixing to touch that mess and make a difference in it. Whatever he says, do it. And Jesus turned around and said, go get the water pots. The ones that are a mess. The ones that are full of dirt. The ones that are full of trash. I'm about to show them that the best work I do is with stuff that's messed up. And stuff that's broken. And stuff that needs a touch. So before you let the devil convince you that your life is too full of mess for God to do anything with, I want to come to tell you today, God knows how to take your mess and turn it into a message. Here's the story. I'm going to fast forward. I'm just about done. Here's the story. They take the six water pots, fill them up with water to the brim. Did y'all read that this morning? To the brim. Why? Because I want him to work all he can work. You know what? If they'd have filled him up to the halfway point, they'd have got a halfway miracle. Oh, I just preached and you missed it. If you come in here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night with half level of expectation, you're going to leave with half level of a miracle. But I came in here today and I said, Lord, I want you to fill me up to the brim. I'm expecting you to do great things. I'm expecting you to do big things. I want you to work. So they take the the, the water pots and fill them up with water. Fill them the rest of the way up. That's so disgusting for me to think about. The water pots for the purifying of the Jews. Gross. He said they took that water, filled it up. And he told them immediately, dip out of it. Aren't you glad it doesn't take him a hundred years to fix your mess? They brought it to Jesus. It was water pots with water in it. It hadn't turned to wine yet. They dipped down in there. He said, take it to the governor of the feast. Uh, Lord, we need to talk about this. I can see the bottom of the pot. And there is some for real sandal lint in there. I bet you don't want that meatloaf right now, do you? That's a good pastor trick. If I can get you sick, I'll preach all day and you won't think about your crock pot. You're welcome. Lord, I'm looking at the evidence right now and that doesn't no more look like my miracle than it did when it was half empty. Jesus looks over and he says, dip it out. 
would you be willing to do that, Lord? Because if I do this and it don't work, I'm going to look like a dummy. And there, right there, folks, is the problem that we face every day. We want Jesus to do for us what we're scared to death to do for ourselves. Dip it out and take it to the governor of the feast. But if I take it up there to him and he takes a big old swig of it and it's just water, I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be embarrassed. They're going to make fun of me for the rest of the feast and say, this dummy brought me water. The power was not in the man dipping the water. The power was in his obedience to dip it when it didn't, like, didn't look like the miracle had happened. At some point in your life, you've got to resign yourself to the fact that the evidence is not always going to look like God is for you. But you may be standing in the middle of a miracle and all God's waiting for you to do is just obey. Just reach down in there and dip it out. It don't look like a miracle. It don't smell like a miracle. It don't feel like a miracle. But obedience, unlock the door. You've got to let him work. Let him work. Let's stand together this morning. You got to let him work. I'm a mess, preacher. I'm a mess. I don't look like a miracle. Oh, you look like one to me. I'm so incomplete. I don't even know what God could do with my mess. I'll tell you what he could do with your mess. If you'll obey his word today, you'll repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I can't promise you that your trouble's going to go away and that your mess is going to go away. But I can promise you this. He knows how to turn a mess into a miracle. And at the end of the day, the Bible said that the miracle was done and his glory was manifested so that the disciples would believe. You want to know how to make people believe that God is real? Let him work in your life. Let there be evidence in your life. Let his glory manifest in your life. Pastor, I don't see that this is necessary for us to be Christian. I want to just call myself a Christian and... Not do anything else. Well, you can't do that. Because it's obedience that unlocks the door of the miracle. If it's in this book, it's necessary for us. But you've got to let God work. Listen, the Holy Ghost has sent me here on this Sunday morning to speak to someone that's approaching the will of God with much trepidation. You are, you're, you're just... You're, you're a little bit nervous because you're, you're not sure you want to jump all the way in. You're not sure you want to commit all the way. And, and you've given God a long list of reasons why you shouldn't have to. But I'm reaching for that somebody today that's right on the edge, just right on the, right on the brink. And you're saying, Lord, I've, I've tested the water, but it doesn't really look like a miracle yet. I don't know how all of it happened. I really don't. There's some things the scripture didn't tell. I don't know if the moment the boy dipped it, dipped it down in there, it, it turned into wine in the cup, or if he actually had to walk with water until he put it in the hands of the governor of the feast. 
And when he put it in his mouth, the Lord said, I'll work. We can't worry about when God's going to do it or how God's going to do it. You just need to know today that if his word said he'll do it, he'll do it. I'm challenging somebody in the Holy Ghost today to step out by faith and say, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I trust that he can and I trust that he will. And I'm going to let God have his way. I'm going to let him work. Come on, who's going to come this morning? Who's going to submit this to God today? Have your way in my life, Jesus. I'm going to let you work. I'm going to let you work.